I am not a destroyer of companies. I am a liberator of them. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Well, that was Michael Douglas in the film uh, Wall Street from 1987. And today I want to talk a little bit about greed. <clears throat> greed and the manipulation of the American people for the sake not only of the bottom line, uh, but for power as well. Um, this is not just monetary greed. This is an ideological greed over the destiny of millions of people. Hello, uh, this is Christopher Richardson. As you probably know, uh, it's the Open Tree Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Um, so I want to start with, uh, there's this veteran investor, and his name is Jim Rogers. Uh, and he recently had an interview with Bloomberg uh, in which he warned that the policies of uh, the world's central banks and uh, at least in our country, disastrous politicians uh, are turning what would have been just uh, a very bad recession into a, quote, new Great Depression. And his key point is that Barack Obama's agenda of taxation is only going, at least his proposed agenda, would only and will only make this problem a lot worse. Now, um, <clears throat> this is Mr. Rogers uh, in the Bloomberg interview, uh, specifically talking about Obama's policies. Uh, listen to clip one. Well, I'm impressed, but very negatively impressed. It's astonishing how bad they're reacting this time. I, it is unfathomable to me what they're doing, and you would think that some of them would have been read some history or un interpreted history properly. What about you the... You know, the Mr. Obama, our new president... Our new president, Mr. Obama, has said, ran on a platform that he's going to do two things. He's going to tax capital. This is a period when the world is desperately short of capital. What a genius. And then he's going to protect America. Protectionism led to the Great Depression in the 1930s. So we've got a man now who says he's going to in favor of protectionism and taxing capital. If that happens, Mr. Stevenson, it's all over. Okay, uh, first off, I could do a whole show about how Obama is not going to bring about real change, uh, least change we can believe in. Uh, you know what would be real change, Mr. Obama, and everyone out there that's just in love with him? Real change would be ending the, the spending of billions of dollars to fund this empire around the world. Uh, you aren't going to change our foreign policy, Obama. You're not going to get us out of Iraq or Afghanistan with this sort of, like, this promised mass exodus of troops. And, he, and now he's talking about, you know, even more conflict with Pakistan, who's been misbehaving lately. I actually read an article just today. Something like 30,000 more troops are going to Afghanistan because what used to be in the mind of liberals the good war that was in the place that we were told was important for September 11th reasons now is gone to complete crap because we've had to fund so, put so much of our effort into uh, into this this yes quagmire in Iraq. Real change would be at let's talk about real change at home. What about things like term limits and and the this trend of 
the career politician, which is something that our founding fathers had no concept of. That's not how they envisioned public service. You have politicians in both, you know, congressmen and rep and senators, uh, all the way up to you know, the cabinet members, the, the president himself. It's you get elected, you get into office, and then everything revolves around the decisions to further your political career and your stake in the power structure. It has completely dissolved this American ideal of this kind of bottom-up democracy uh, in our, you know supposedly constitutional republic it's it's a perversion of the system that he seems fine with real change would be and how about this real change would be the income tax the federal income tax i mean it's kind of the elephant in the room um hello obama we figured out that the federal income tax doesn't pay for anything that helps us it just covers the government's ass when it decides to borrow money. Um, we, at the very least, replace it with something that doesn't totally enslave us, like a consumption tax or the fair tax. I mean, they're talking about another economic stimulus package. If you want an economic stimulus, how about you allow Americans to actually keep 100% of the money that they earn in the first place? We know that forking out a quarter of it 30% of it, and the more you make, the more you pay, isn't doing anything for us. I mean, times are tough. You, why would you add hundreds of billions of dollars to the national debt by printing this money out and further devaluing the currency, which is worth nothing? I, I think it's something like it's a dollar today is worth two cents compared to a dollar in, in you know, 50 years ago, 60, 70 years ago just so you can mail out checks to Americans who are going to take that money and put the majority of it back into the banking system anyway, they're not going to go on shopping sprees in these, in these you know, frightening times. And we'll get to later, I want to talk about the frightening aspect of that because that's being done on purpose. Uh, you know, they're not, they're not going to make lifestyle changes or make investments or go on shopping sprees because they get a few hundred bucks in the mail from Uncle Sam. And speaking of actually inflation and the income tax, I knew we would end up talking about this at some point today. Um, this uh, this idea of borrowing money from a central bank, this unconstitutional practice of giving complete control over our economy and the value of our money to a group of wealthy men, essentially. Um, and they're not just wealthy, they're unelected, and they're not held accountable. They don't have to answer to you. You didn't vote for them. You don't pay them. Well, in a way, you do pay them. Your income tax pays them. But if anything, they tell you what, uh, what to do. They control your life. The fact is, the government has specifically this power, as granted by the Constitution, to issue its own money debt-free without ceding control and having to rely on loans from private bankers. But, you know, Barack Obama and probably almost all of our elected officials, they don't care about that part of the Constitution. Um, but I, I think probably what's more is that they're probably 95% just ignorant 
um, most of them are, after all, coming out of government schools. So, you know, these, as you can see, <laughs> these problems aren't just, uh, you know, a credit crunch. Um, it goes a lot deeper than that. So, uh, let's hear some more from Jim Rogers again from that interview. Um, uh, this is clip two. Well, right now, what's happening is the, the American government is printing gigantic amounts of money. I think that, in the end, is going to be the, the worst problem. They're propping up everybody in sight. And when you, throughout history, when you've done that, and you've printed gigantic amounts of money, it's led to inflation, and in some cases, runaway inflation. It's too bad that the American government would not let people fail. The big problem is, A, they haven't let people fail, and B, they're printing money to try to solve the problems. Yeah, well, uh, you know, at the root of this problem is um, this, this counterfeiting, these money machines. Um, the Federal Reserve, with its power to create this money out of thin air, uh, you know, it's, um, it's ridiculous. It, it's, it's, it's a paradox. Their crea money is supposed to be something of intrinsic value. Uh, you know, this is debt. So, I mean, it, once you understand the system, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. You understand the catch. If all the money has to come from a single bank, and every time you borrow money from that bank, you end up owing more than you borrowed, where does the extra money come from? You know, and the answer is it doesn't come from anywhere because it doesn't exist. There is never going to be any paying off of our national debt. And as the borrowers, we're servant to the lenders, the people who are financing our government. Because it's not us. It's not our own wealth. Uh, and, and these lenders, they're very wealthy, very powerful, but most of all very unpatriotic. They own everything of importance, though, and, and influence, and they have n nothing but the tightest of holds on our political establishment. If you give men the power to create something of value out of nothing whenever they want, you shouldn't be surprised when they create something of value out of nothing whenever they want. And as a man probably much wiser than me once said, only God should be allowed to create something of value out of nothing. Uh, we'll talk, obviously, a little more about the Federal Reserve and the frightening atmosphere economically. Uh, and when we get back, uh, you'll listen to the Open Tree Podcast. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge has marked the upward surge of mankind and greed, you mark my words, will not only save Teldar paper, but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. All right, so we're talking about corruption, greed, etc. Uh, again, that was a clip from the movie Wall Street, which came out about 20 years ago. It was uh, pretty spot on. Um, now, I know before the break, I mentioned the uh, Federal Reserve, but this story actually just crossed my eye. And not only does it fit in with what we're talking about, uh, but this, I mean, this is almost satirical. This, this is unbelievable. Um, if you head over to the blog, actually, I posted a link to the story. And... Um, uh, you might want to sit down for this one. Congress, you know, the legislative body with a lower approval rating than George Bush, yeah, them, 
uh, they're giving themselves a raise. And you're going to pay for it uh, because they want it and you have no power. You are the debased, disenfranchised, unwashed masses. And, you know, they've done such a good job looking out for you. You know, you, you really owe them. Uh, this is also while the approval rating, like I said, uh, below that of George W. Bush. Yeah, it's in the single digits again. Uh, the Hill has this story. Uh, again, this is, uh, this is Congress giving itself a raise. The Hill says, a crumbling economy, more than two million constituents who have lost their jobs this year, and congressional demands of CEOs to work for free did not convince lawmakers to freeze their own pay. Instead, they'll get a $4,700 pay increase, amounting to an additional $2.5 million that taxpayers will spend, again, without their choice, <laughs> on congressional salaries. And watchdog groups are, quote, not happy about it. Um, this is where I'd like to propose a new law, a new piece of legislation that would require all congressional pay raises to be subject to approval by the electorate the actual people who gave them their jobs. After all, they're the ones paying for it. If we're paying for it, shouldn't we be the ones to decide whether or not they deserve it? I mean, think about it. Who determines whether you get a raise at your job? It's obviously your boss, because it's his money. He's the one who writes the checks every month. Now, in my life, I've had several jobs. And I don't ever remember one where the requirement for getting a raise in pay was just signing a piece of paper and announcing to my boss that uh, as of now, he'll owe me more money every year. And Congress doesn't deserve it. For Again, now, uh, let's take their approval rating. It currently sits at 9%. Now, if you worked in an office, and in that office there were 100 people, and 91 of them thought that you were doing a poor job, do you think you'd be able to convince your boss to give you a raise? Of course not. In fact, you'd be, you'd be lucky to even have a job. And the only thing that would separate you from a congressman would be the fact that you actually stay at work for eight hours a day instead of strolling in at 11.30, or if you have a problem with security, <coughs> Cynthia McKinney, <coughs> stroll in at 11.45. Uh, you know, renaming a post office or passing a resolution to congratulate a college sports team, or signing your name on some uh, random appropriations, or trying to ram earmarks uh, down the throats of, of the American people, uh, you know, it's, this is unbelievable. I, I, don't, I don't know what, what country I'm living in anymore. Anyway, switching gears back to... Uh, more specifically, the economic situation. Uh, we've talked a little bit about, um, and if you read the blog or have watched my film Disinterest, um, you're at least partially aware of how the Fed is responsible for the current crisis. And I want to talk about this idea that I believe Ron Paul was the first to call it this, and that's economic terrorism. And this is the method with which the government and the media and the banks have all been scaring us to death, uh, terrorizing, twisting our arms to go along with these government bailouts, which are better termed taxpayer bailouts. Uh, first, it was the $700 billion, which eventually grew. Now we're at over a trillion. And uh, Bloomberg published a story last week 
this was, of course, this was after filing a Freedom of Information Act request because the Federal Reserve is refusing to disclose who is receiving what amounts to over $2 trillion of taxpayer money. Now, I'm going to say that one more time. $2 trillion of taxpayer loans. And the Fed says, uh, yeah, we're not going to tell you where that money's going. And what's more, we don't have to tell you. And they don't have to do anything that we tell them. We didn't elect them. You know, they don't answer to us. The Fed is a private bank, and it sets its own policies. Oh, my God. There was a oh – God, this was an interview with, I think, PBS. Uh, I think it was this year. And it was Alan Greenspan. And in one of his answers, he just openly, just flat out said, look, we're an independent part of the political and economic establishment. Uh, and we make our own rules, and basically we don't have to answer to anyone. And no one in the government can tell us what to do. He said, in not as many words, we own you, all of you. So back to uh, Ron Paul, he is saying that the heart of this new... Uh, it's already been being given this uh, this name, and that is the bailout culture. At the heart of it is really fear, and that's what's being used to push this agenda, at least with the public, uh, behind which sits the Federal Reserve. Um, so let's listen to him. This is Ron Paul on economic terrorism. And that is uh, governments that want to take over and undermine our liberties and have more power, always use the uh, fear factor. They did this leading up, you know, to the war in Iraq. Remember how they said, you know, if we don't go in there, uh, such and such is going to happen. So they build up the fear, and, and they do it on foreign policy. Now they're doing it on economic, uh, monetary, and financial uh, problems. And yet the dilemma that we have is that we're scared, too. There should be a lot of fear. Uh, it's knowing the truth that counts. They use the weapon of okay, fear. Okay, okay, hold it right here. Um, he's 100% right, in my opinion. Just like the run to the Iraq War, it's the same thing here. And I don't know if you were paying attention or what you were doing during the run-up to the Iraq War, but uh, we seem to have forgotten the beginning uh, and, and what we were told. Uh, it's, it, we kind of shifted gears along the way. If you remember in the beginning, it was all about Saddam is such a threat to us. And uh, Condi and Colin Powell getting up there with his PowerPoint presentation and his little vial, uh, you know, and Condi with, we don't want the smoking gun to be a mushroom cloud over an American city. All of this stuff where it's like, we are putting ourselves at risk. If we don't invade Iraq, topple Saddam, and rebuild a nation in the most volatile region of the entire world. And then, suddenly, it was mission accomplished. And all of a sudden, it turned into, it went from shock and awe to Operation Iraqi Freedom. Remember that? And then, all of the noise slowly did this sort of not so, not overnight, but they didn't take their time with it. Um, kind of a transition. In other words, it was a concerted effort to shape the perception of our whole endeavor there. 
So now it's Operation Iraqi Freedom, and it's n all not about neutralizing a threat to us, but, oh, well, we went in to liberate the Iraqi people, and it was all about the Iraqi people. And now we are in the midst of creating this nation, and we need to build America in the Middle East because that's what they want. And that was why we went in, was because Iraq needed to be a democracy like America. So... It's very similar how, as you can see, and that really was the end, one of the main tenets of why we went in, is this, uh, I hate to use this term, but it is appropriate here, neoconservative mindset, this ideology that came out of these uh, think tanks, like uh, the, the Project for the New American Century, se okay, members of whom, members of which include Cheney, uh, Rumsfeld, you know, let's see. Uh, so all of these people that then leak into the administration and then these think tank policies kind of seep through and this ideology of our foreign policy to uh, spread democracy at the point of a gun. So we start to see that the ends, which are formulated there and not with the American people, don't really match up with the beginnings of the situation, which just like the Iraq war, the ends of this economic crisis that has been purposely created are not going to match up with these uh, frightening scenarios that they're laying before us. It's all a show. So, you know, it's the same thing here. Um, the, it's a path towards nationalization and socialism, uh, for lack of a better term. You know, I mean, what do you, what do you call it? Government and banker takeovers of industry you know, and, it, and it's, not, it's not just the American people being threatened. It's actually the lawmakers, uh, Congress themselves. There was one case recently, very recently, uh, this is all happening so fast, in which a congressman was actually threatened with martial law, not ma congressional martial law or physical martial law in the streets if this bailout bill didn't pass. Now, I, I have that clip, and I want you to listen to, uh, this is Congressman Brad Sherman from California, and he's addressing uh, the House representatives during the debate of the original bailout bill, the big, when the big $700 billion number came out, uh, the original banker takeover bill. Uh, now, he's talking about this threats and this doom and gloom scenario that was being touted while all this was going on. Listen. The only way they can pass this bill is by creating and sustaining a panic atmosphere. That atmosphere is not justified. Many of us were told in private conversations that if we voted against this bill on Monday, that the sky would fall, the market would drop two or 3,000 points the first day, another couple thousand the second day, and a few members were even told that there would be martial law in America if we voted no. That's what I call fear-mongering, unjustified, proven wrong. We've got a week, we've got two weeks to write a good bill. The only way to write, to pass a bad bill, keep the panic pressure on. So, that's it. That's America. That's uh, democracy in action. That's our republic. That's our constitution. That's everything, the way it's supposed to work. Everything's just fine. Everything's coming up roses. We don't have to worry. Congress is on the job. And they just got a raise. They're doing such a kick-ass job. Uh, quick break.
I'll be right back. Zeo Pine Tree Podcast. I don't know um I don't know what country we're living in anymore and I I don't know what to make of what I see. It's uh I mean it's like we've become so desensitized to the corruption that we see every day. Tabloids don't seem like tabloids anymore because our own newspapers are tabloids. It's this sensationalist reporting and every day another story Another scandal, another bribe or cover-up, another Ponzi scheme, you know, another Madoff. Uh, it's just, it's become the norm. You know, you go to these, you go to these political blogs or you go to these websites uh, for, you know, political columns and opinion and everything. It's what, what someone thinks about who's to blame over something or how one side of the, one of the two teams screwed something up. And it, it seems like no one seems to realize that in the process, the middle class is, is being killed off, not literally killed off, but it's being dissolved, and that's part of this plan. Uh, it, it is socialist in nature. We have a political establishment, a machine that no ordinary citizen can get e- even close to, filled to the brim with career politicians uh, wealthy, wealthy ideologues, you know, the richest of Americans. I mean, I, I don't even want to tell you how much it costs to run for Congress, let alone Senate, or as we've seen with Barack Obama and this the extraordinary amount of money, record-breaking amount of money that he spent getting elected president. It pretty much ensures that only the wealthiest Americans are going to run for office. Now, economics aside, we have a two-tiered system here. There's a level of control and and influence, and then there are serfs who pay their taxes, cover the government's ass financially, produce, actually create and mold the social society, and pretty much do whatever they're told. So that's, again, this is the new America. This is the America of the 21st century. This is how we're going to start. I really feel like this is going to be the time that we look back and think this is when people kind of started to figure out that they're being led down the primrose path to, in the end, globalization, but a total loss of their freedoms uh, and their sovereignty this is the time that people realized that there is no difference between the two parties, that it is not the color of the state or what animal is on the giant button. These are teams. These are symbols. This is a way to divide and conquer, if you will. They're going to realize this. In fact, this is probably the curse of Obama. Uh, Obama is going to make Everyone in this country, most people in this country, most thinking people in the country, finally have this, this hidden fear. And I don't want to call it a fear. It's more of just 
a suspicion that you don't really like to think about, and that is that there is no difference between these two parties. You know, that it's just, it's a mafia. It's like, uh, you know, you know it's, it's like two families. They just have different names. You know, it's not the Republicans, it's the Gambinos. Uh, that it, it's just two, two puppets, and the puppeteer has his two hands, but it's the, same, it's the same man behind the stage running everything. It's the same group of, uh, of, of influential, powerful people and their interests. It, it sounds really bad, but the way Obama is going to make them realize this is, this is how he's probably shot himself in the foot, is this mantra of change. I mean, he better have some serious tricks, uh, like a magician, to, oh, look over here, and he can distract us while we continue to suffer the same policies that, you know, aren't being removed, not because they aren't bad, they're terrible, they're killing us, but because they're supposed to be in place. People are going to wake up and realize that they're not living in the fantasy world that surely voting for the other party would deliver. And they're going to, sit, they're going to start to look at Clinton's presidency and Bush's presidency and Obama's presidency, however long he's in office, if we're still a nation eight years from now. And they're going to put the pieces together, and there will be enough uh, breadcrumbs left along the way to map out the path and realize that it doesn't deviate when the voting deviates. It is a steady, straight shot towards socialism and eventually globalization. This has been the Opine Tree Podcast. Uh, uh, my name is Chris Richardson. Thank you for listening. Uh, go read, uh, investigate, educate. Um, come back and listen again. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.